Hi, everyone, and welcome to the American Ambulance EMS podcast. I'm Dr. Danielle Campaign, and I'm American Ambulance's medical director. I'm here with Dr. Patil Armenian. Hello. So today we're missing our other fantastic co-host, Dr. Sajin Bakta. He had to work a shift, so we're going to power through without him, but we miss you, Sajin. We miss you. Today we're going to be talking about hypothermia and the trauma patients. All right, Patio, kick us off with the case. So this is a classic case of a single-car motor vehicle collision head-on into a light pole. Airbags were deployed, and the patient is non-ambulatory at the scene with an obvious right-open femur fracture, degloving injury to the left arm, and a closed head injury. The patient is repetitive and confused, GCS 14, and really has no idea what happened. It is winter in Fresno and raining. Ambient air temperature is in the upper 30s in Fahrenheit. So this is a great case to introduce us to our topic, you know, hypothermia in our trauma patients. So hypothermia, body temperature of 35 degrees Celsius or less, is present in up to two-thirds of trauma patients upon admission to the emergency department. So why is this important? Why do we care? We care because studies show that hypothermic trauma patients are less likely to survive their injuries when compared to similar patients who are normal thermic. The adverse effects of hypothermia are much worse in trauma patients than in any routine, like, cold environment exposure victim. There was a 2004 study published in Injury that cited a 100% mortality rate among trauma victims whose core temperature drops to 32 degrees, as opposed to 21% mortality for non-trauma patients who had the same temperature drop. For more information on pre-hospital bleeding control, you can check out our episode number 61. And for more information on cold injuries, check out episode number 54. Today, we are really just doing a deep dive on this tiny slice of hypothermia, which is hypothermia in the trauma patient. Patil, kick us off on the pathophys of hypothermia. Yeah, so why does the hypothermia even matter so much? One of the big things is that hypothermia reduces the blood's ability to coagulate. And this poor coagulation leads to more blood loss, which then results in even more decreased blood circulation. Now, hypothermia in trauma patients is actually a really common condition. It's aggravated by traumatic hemorrhage, aka blood loss, which leads to hypovolemic shock. This hypovolemic shock results in the lethal triad of hypothermia, coagulopathy, and acidosis, leading to ongoing bleeding, and then possibly death. Hypothermia in trauma patients can deepen through environmental exposure on the scene or during transport and medical procedures such as infusions of cold IV fluids or blood and airway management. This vicious circle has a detrimental effect on the outcome of major trauma patients. So basically, it's not that the ambient temperature is like cold and that's why they're hypothermic. A lot of times the ambient temperature might not be anything exciting, but they're getting hypothermic because of some of, you know, just the transport, being out exposed to the elements, maybe having wet clothes, getting these cold medications. And then if they are intubated, actually, if you get cold air going through Um, you know, the bag valve mask or the ventilator, that actually cools them down a lot too. Now, hypothermia in trauma patients leads to a higher in-hospital mortality, higher blood transfusion requirements, and longer lengths of stay in hospitals. A recent systematic review in the World Journal of Surgery in 2020 included seven studies for meta-analysis, 
and concluded that accidental hypothermia at admission was associated with significantly higher mortality in trauma patient, with an odds ratio of 5.2. What does that mean in regular English? That means you have a five times increased risk of death from the injury if you are cold. So let's go through some hypothermic causes. Patil mentioned some already, but one is exposure to the environment, right? Is it cold outside? Is it snowing? You have your car accident and you're ejected in the winter months, you know, is a patient exposed for cold at a long time? Or is it something they're getting exposed to based like the cold IV fluids? It also comes into maybe the patient can't control their own body temperature well. This comes up with the extremes of age, right? The very old, the very young, they have impaired ability to control their own thermoregulatory mechanisms, right? They can't control their body temperature very well. Other medications, drugs, and alcohol can also impair the body's ability to control heat loss. So alcohol results in vasodilatation, right? Their blood vessels dilate, it relaxes the blood vessels, and that causes heat loss, Underlying medical problems like diabetes or hypothyroidism, that can affect the person's ability to control their temperature. If the injured patient is in shock and in trauma, we assume that's from blood loss. This hypoperfusion state, meaning blood is not perfusing their organs, that also causes their ability to control their temperature to fail. So let's jump into the complicated world of coagulation. So the combination of hypothermia, acidosis, and coagulopathy is the trauma triad of death. Uh, which we kind of already mentioned, but we can't mention it enough because it's super important. This diminishes the chances of survival in severely injured patients. And the three things, hypothermia, acidosis, and coagulopathy, which is poor blood clotting, are highly interrelated, and then they create this vicious cycle if it's not addressed in the very earliest stages of trauma management. Acidosis is usually caused by diminished organ perfusion and shock, Um, which is primarily going to be hemorrhagic shock and trauma because they're bleeding out. And acidosis directly influences thrombin generation, which um, if you don't have thrombin, basically you can't make blood clots. Hypothermia is the next factor, um, and this affects blood clotting in many ways. And basically the key thing is that blood clotting um, is the result of a series of chemical reactions And all of the enzymes in these chemical reactions are temperature dependent. So the colder you are, the, you know, less effective that system is able to work. Now, coagulopathy, um, it basically just means you can't make blood clots. And this, um, the coagulation cascade function really deteriorates with decreasing temperatures, like we were just saying. Platelet function itself is also influenced by temperature. Platelets don't really function well at low temperatures, so they can't make blood clots. And if you can't make blood clots, you can't stop the bleeding. Thrombin seems to play a major role in platelet dysfunction, also through a platelet adhesion defect in the presence of hypothermia, meaning the platelets just can't stick together to stop bleeding in blood vessels like they are supposed to. So we are trying to avoid this trauma triad of death, hypothermia, acidosis, coagulopathy, very early on in the injured patient. Let's talk about the assessment. So you're an EMS professional, you come on scene of some kind of trauma patient. You need to be very diligent in identifying traumatic hypothermia when you see it. And sometimes it's very obvious and sometimes it's not so obvious. Let's kind of go through some of these signs. The first one, of course, is shivering. If your injured patient is shivering, the ship is already starting to sail, right? They're already becoming hypothermic. They're already trying to create some kind of warmth. Sometimes it's just mottled appearance of the skin. They can be tachycardic. They can get altered. 
um, and they can also breathe fast. The problem I find with all these signs is you, these same signs can happen with just extreme blood loss. So you might not know, are they tachycardic and getting altered because they have head injuries and are bleeding out, or are they tachycardic and altered because they're hypothermic? Um, so for a lot of these situations, the signs of hypothermia are not clear cut. So for those reasons, hypothermia in the trauma patient must be assumed unless ruled out. So you guys assume every case you come on, the patient's going to be hypothermic. Um, and so there are some more objective means of identifying hypothermia and really should try to get that in your initial assessment. But most EMS systems don't even carry thermometers. If you don't have a thermometer, that's okay. You're going to assume every patient you come to is going to be hypothermic. Let's go through the management of hypothermia or the management of how to prevent hypothermia in the trauma patients. So the first key thing is prevention of further cooling is essential um, and should be started in the pre-hospital phase for all trauma patients. Just assume all trauma patients are cold and treat them like they're hypothermic. So how do we prevent further heat loss? One, remove all wet clothing. Two, apply blankets. Three, remove patient from the surrounding cold environment to the back of the ambulance where you can warm them up. Now let's try to add heat. So we're going to turn on the patient compartment heater until it's uncomfortably warm for you, which means it might be okay for the patient. Uh, This can slow down the heat loss rate by increasing the ambient temperature to allow the patient to self-rewarm. And um, if you carry them on your rig, consider applying hot packs to the patient's groin and axilla. Other EMS-specific steps to reduce hypothermia? Let's go through those. During extended extrications, you'll keep the patient covered with a blanket or sheet. Those emergency foil blankets can be very effective in retaining body heat and are lightweight, easy to store in your jump kit. So if you carry those in your EMS system, use them. If you have to infuse large amounts of IV crystalloid fluids, such as normal saline in a trauma patient, this can actually worsen the ability for the blood to clot and it can unintentionally cool the body. So most advanced life support providers should use warmed saline and administer only enough to maintain the systolic blood pressure of about 80 to 90 systolic if you can. I know some systems don't have a saline warmer. Some people put hot packs around the IV fluids before they put it in, or you put it near in the heated compartment of your rig. So there's a lot of ways to try to get that fluid warm before you infuse it into the person. Well, and I think it's useful to also remember that in trauma patients, we're not trying to necessarily get them to a perfect blood pressure. We really just want their blood pressure to be at like 90 or maybe even like right around there a little bit higher. And so so you're really just giving enough IV fluids to get them to that point. So automatically, if you just know, okay, that's my blood pressure goal, then you don't have to be flooding them with all those cold fluids. Exactly. When talking about a protocol, you know, Central California EMS Agency does not directly address hypothermia in their trauma protocol. You know, their trauma protocol is like every other trauma protocol. You know, it talks about securing the ABCs, right? You're going to control the bleeding, apply direct pressure, put them in spinal mobilization if they need it. They can get pain control with fentanyl. Then you're going to transport them. The biggest thing about our protocol is short on-scene times for trauma patients. There's a lot of studies out there, and we covered that in a prior episode Um, about short on scene times and how the quicker they are to the hospital, their survival is greater. However, there's no mention of treating hypothermia on this protocol. But if I could add it in, I would probably add it in right after the ABC. So before you're giving fentanyl, you're making sure to warm them. You've already, when you're doing your ABCDs for disability, you're taking off their clothes, looking for injuries, go ahead and put that blanket on right then. So in talking with some of our experienced medics, Um, at American Ambulance here, some of their tips and tricks they give for heating up fluids or making sure you're prepared to take care of the trauma patient. One is 
blankets on everybody. You can put a blanket underneath them, a blanket on top of them. Another one is to turn on your heater in your back compartment on the way to the call. And I thought that was pretty smart, that you're already heating up your ambulance rig before you get there. It needs to be uncomfortably hot for you because usually it takes a while to kick in and a while to warm up. And that way it's already warm for the patient when you go to put them in. Patil, what other ones have you heard? Well, I think they were saying that like if you're not if you're not sweating in the back and if you don't feel super uncomfortable yourself, then your patient's probably too cold um, as a trauma patient. So I thought that was a really good tip. Another one was um, if you are really cold, you know, we have uh, some mountains near us and you're up in the snow and you feel like the IV fluid you have is really cold. They talked about you can wrap the IV tubing around a hot pack that you've just opened up. And so that way it's kind of like the radiator effect where that fluid's going to travel through that IV line that's around a hot pack. And that does heat up that fluid a little bit. So all these are little tips and tricks. You probably know the best in your system and where you practice. Um, but especially if you're practicing in really cold places like Alaska and Minnesota, I'm hoping you have um, heated IV fluid compartments um, because the cold fluid can definitely um, injure the patient. Now, once you get to the hospital, we have something called a level one warmer, or these warming devices that heat up the blood and heat up the fluids and they put it in very fast to the patient. And also, right, you know, every single trauma bay I've ever worked at has a blanket warmer. It's just like a giant oven for blankets. And it's my personal kind of favorite thing to do on shift is just to like give warm blankets to people, but it's especially crucial in the trauma patient. So pretty much as soon as they, you know, come into our ED, we're piling them on with some some warm blankets. Let's go through some summary take-home points, Patil. My take-home point is that hypothermia in trauma patients is really strongly correlated with increased in-hospital mortality, increased length of stay, and a higher need for blood transfusions, um, and is really the most important physiological predictor for early and late mortality in trauma patients because of its effect on blood coagulation. And my take-home point is the next time you think you've exhausted all the life-saving techniques for your trauma victim please remember that the one most important thing you can do is also really the simplest. It's like wrap that patient in a blanket, preserve that vital body heat. And I think that really saves lives. So thanks for all you do out there. Thank you. If you guys like the American Ambulance EMS podcast and you feel like this has been useful for you, please give us a five-star review on the iTunes store so that we can move up in the ratings so that uh, other uh, pre-hospital professionals can listen to us as well. Um, and we're also taking any solicitations for ideas or, or topics that you want covered, and you can email us anytime at podcast at americanambulance.com. Once again, that's podcast at americanambulance.com. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on the American Ambulance EMS podcast produced by American Ambulance in Fresno, California. The views of the guests and the hosts of this show are their own and don't necessarily reflect the views of American Ambulance or UCSF Fresno. And I'm John Mark Bergen, American Ambulance's media producer saying thanks for joining us. Have a great shift and stay safe out there.